Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows to you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope that you've been staying safe and washing your hands and hope you've been tuning in to us. We've had some great interviews lately. Al Guido, the president of the San Francisco 49ers, Christian Dawkins from The Scheme on HBO. That was a great documentary. Mark Sanchez, former NFL and USC great. Dr. Myron Roll was on. Midge Purse, U.S. Women's National Team player. So, if you get a chance, go to our iTunes feed, find us on Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts, look up Sports Business Radio, and you'll find some really good conversations over the last month. We are now releasing pods every Tuesday and Friday. I'm joined virtually by Brian Griggs, our producer. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. And, you know, you just mentioned all that cool content we have. It's, you know, so much of the world is shut down, yet we're still putting out new stuff twice a week now. So, and great stuff. So lots of content, lots of great interviews, insight in the world of sports and business moving forward. So no shortage of fun. Well, I think people are looking for answers. And, you know, hopefully our guest today, Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, he and I have a really good discussion on like, where are we at right now? When he last joined me and you in studio, when we were together on March 11th, that seems like it was a year ago and it was five weeks ago. So much has happened. We know a lot more now, but in some ways we don't know anything more. And there's still lots and lots of questions. So we kind of examine the sports landscape. What are the sports that we could see return in 2020. What are the ones that aren't very well positioned to return in 2020? What's the new normal going to look like coming out of this? Keith Foreman joins me on our show today. Griggs, uh, I am so looking forward to the long-awaited, much-hyped documentary that's coming out on Michael Jordan and the 1990s Chicago Bulls Last Dance on ESPN. It comes out on Sunday. I'm really excited to see uh, what they've done. The teaser video they put out looks very good. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be definitely must-watch must TV, and I'm excited for some new content, something something to look forward to this weekend in sports. Well, and oh, they're yeah. releasing it early, too, right? Remember, they were going to release it in June around the NBA Finals, but now, since everyone's home, they're like, hey, let's put this out in April. Yeah, and it's smart because, I mean, everybody's going to tune in. Jordan's iconic. Uh, you know, we went through that whole era. We grew up through that era and went through of Jordan and the Bulls. They were just, they were the team that everybody modeled after. Jordan was the guy everybody was watching. So it's going to be a fascinating thing. Well, so I'm 51 years old and, and Jordan is the greatest athlete of my lifetime. The only other athletes that I would even put in the conversation would be Muhammad Ali or Tiger Woods. As far as NBA players, like, you know, LeBron James is, is a very special player. Kobe Bryant was a very special player. There have been a lot of great players. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. There's no one that I have ever seen with my own two eyes that compares to Michael Jordan. And, you know, this era, 
doesn't quite understand that. This is more the LeBron era. But when you go and you see the competitive nature that Michael Jordan had and, and frankly, how he wanted to rip your heart out and he was six and oh in the NBA finals, he never lost. Uh, I saw him when I worked for the Blazers, 1992 Blazers Bulls finals. I was at that game in Chicago where he made all the threes and he did the, the shoulder shrug to the camera and he's like, Hey, I'm on fire. Like what, what are you going to do? And I saw him when he played with Dream Team One with Barkley and Magic and Bird and Ewing and Mullen and all of those guys. And he was just an unbelievable athlete. He did things on the court and you just kind of shook your head. But I think people are going to get to know him kind of as a person too. And he even did an interview, Griggs, and he said, like, people are going to think I'm a jerk when they watch this. But that dude just wanted to win. Like at any cost, he wanted to win whether it was playing checkers or or playing basketball. Yeah, six and zero oh in the finals. I mean, that is just you can't compete with him being the best athlete, especially in basketball, because that's just a what an accomplishment. And he like like he said, he's, he think people are going to think he's a jerk. I think it's fascinating because not many people know Jordan off the court, so that's what I'm looking forward to digging in on this uh, documentary. Yeah, and he just had. I mean, I've been around him. I'll tell a quick story. So I was working for the Blazers. I think it was 1994. It's the year he was in retirement and, and playing baseball. So uh, I'm working for the Blazers. I'm running the arena and, you know, the Blazer games and things like that. So I get a call right before tip-off. And every team in the NBA is supposed to keep two seats. They're called commissioner seats. And it's just in case the commissioner or some VIP shows up to your arena. You're supposed to have them. Yeah, they're courtside seats, center court. So I get a call and, hey, Michael Jordan is coming to the Blazers game tonight. He was in town visiting Nike and he wants to come to the Blazer game. And I'm like, whoa. So, you know, I go to the back door. I meet Michael Jordan and the person who was with him. I escort him to his seat. And this is the day before there were suites in the arena, Greg. So now it's halftime. And, you know, you can't just leave Michael Jordan in his courtside seats because he's going to be mobbed by autograph seekers and fans and people like that. So, you know, I went up to him and I said, hey, my office is right off of the, the court. Do you want to come hide out in my office? So, Griggs, I have Michael Jordan in my office for 45 minutes. Steve Snapper Jones, who uh, used to be a commentator with NBC and, you know, played in the NBA and the ABA, he came in as well. So, that was one of the all-time great conversations I've ever had. And as I posted on our Instagram feed a picture of me with Michael Jordan back when I had hair, uh, you wish that we could have recorded that as a podcast back then. But that's my that's one of my Michael Jordan stories. But I saw him play in the finals in the Dream Team. And, you know, this is with my own two eyes. That dude was just next level special. Yeah, that, and that's a great story. I remember you telling me that, and that picture, that picture is awesome. You're like, wait, is that Brian Berger with hair? What's that look like? <laughs> yeah, my daughter, uh, gave me a buzz cut yesterday, so I have no hair going now. But yeah, back then, I had, uh, I had the flow going. But, uh, yeah, what a great experience. And, you know, it was funny too. So that was back in the day when there weren't iPhones. So I just happened to have a camera in my desk, which I never had a camera in my desk. And I said to him, I go, look, I never do this. I meet celebrities and athletes all the time, but no one's going to believe that I had Michael Jordan in my office for 45 minutes. I go, would you mind taking a picture? So snapper took a picture of us and you know, it hangs on my wall at home. So that's my proof that, that Michael Jordan was in my office and that we hung out for 45 minutes. 
I love that story. Yeah. And it, you're right. No iPhones. And like you said, no sweets. So it was a nice gesture by you, like get him off the court so he doesn't get mobbed at halftime. And then you get a picture to prove it and you get to talk to him for 45 minutes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So the last dance coming out on Sunday, I think it's what, 10 hours long. So it's, it's parts one and two are coming out on Sunday. Um, can't wait to watch it. It's on ESPN. Griggs, other stories this week. Uh, tonight, we're recording this on Friday. The WNBA draft is taking place. And I think it's going to get the best ratings it's ever gotten. Uh, Sabrina Inescu is, you know, from Oregon. So we're very well familiar with her, but she's going to be the number one pick with the New York Liberty. And she's one of those transcendent athletes. I think everyone knows her relationship with Kobe Bryant. She was player of the year in college basketball. One of the all time greats who's ever played women's college basketball. Now she's going to New York. She's got the respect of Steph Curry, who she works out with. She signed with uh, WME this week, William Morris Endeavor. She's going to be big time. And I look at her and I think, you know, Serena is getting older. Maria Sharapova just retired. You've got Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi in the WNBA. They don't have much time left in their careers. You've got, uh, you know, Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan who are in the twilight of their career in soccer. I really think Sabrina is well positioned to be the marquee women's athlete in the United States for the next 10 to 15 years. Oh yeah, I 100% agree with that. And like you said, she's going to be great for women's basketball. I think it'll be the highest rated tonight. I know I've got my DVR set. I'm going to watch it, record it so I can look back on it. And yeah, I think she is just going to be fascinating to watch. And I think it's going to be fun to see how the WNBA does the virtual draft tonight too. It's our first kind of live virtual draft to see how that works. Well, in, in a weird way, so ESPN's doing it next week, ESPN ABC and the NFL network are doing the NFL draft. I think this is a good kind of trial run for ESPN with a virtual draft, right? They can get this one under their belt. They can work out any kinks or mistakes that they may make and, and apply that to next week's NFL draft when they do that virtually as well. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a great kind of, uh, yeah, precursor to see how it all works out. Lots of good stuff and more live content. We can actually kind of watch something new tonight. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. Our last headline, Jalen Green, who is a high school basketball player. Many people thought he could potentially be the number one pick in the 2021 draft. So he'd be a one and done guy. And we've seen a lot of those. Zion Williamson, you know, if you're an outstanding player, you go to college for a year and then you go pro. Well, Jalen Green and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, they might be changing the model on all of this. Griggs, Jalen Green got $500,000 to play basketball in the NBA's G League. And then they also gave him a $125,000 scholarship to use to get his college education whenever he wants to do that. So if you're going to see these outstanding high school basketball players get 500 grand and get their college education paid for, there's a lot of them that are going, you know what? I'm not going to college. Like I see what Duke did for Zion and I think he became Zion in that one season at Duke. I, I understand that, and I understand the notoriety. But I also think some of these guys just don't want to go to class, and they don't want to have to worry about grades or being eligible, and they just want to go start working with pro coaches. And, again, five hundred grand is nothing to blink an eye at. They want to get paid, and you're paying for their college education. This is going to be interesting to see if this becomes more the norm for the outstanding high school players who uh, may skip college altogether. 
Yeah, I don't see how it doesn't become the norm. I mean, you got an 18-year-old kid who wants to keep playing ball, gets 500K and college paid for down the road. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, especially for the solid athletes that are going to be good and they're going to get in the G League and then probably get in the NBA too as well. So, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more of this coming. Well, and as you're, you'll hear later in our conversation with Keith Foreman, I don't know what's going to happen to the NCAA. I mean, that's probably a separate show that's probably an hour conversation by itself. They have missed all of their budgets because they lost March Madness. They may lose the college football season. Basketball and football are the two biggest revenue generators for every college and for the NCAA. If you don't have those this year, unless government bails them out or some private entities bail them out, I don't know how they catch up with this deficit. So, that's going to be interesting to watch. All right, Griggs, anything else uh, that we should know about from you? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm glad you're staying safe. And uh, coming up next, Keith Foreman, the co-founder of Sports Business Radio, wide-ranging conversation with him. You know, we like to do these every once in a while. We don't have a guest on, and we just kind of break down what's going on in sports and in business. We're going to do that next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. My guest is Keith Foreman. He is the co-founder of Sports Business Radio. Close friend. Keith has worked for Major League Soccer. He's worked around the sports world for many years. And uh, you may recall March 11th, Keith joined me. And Keith, it seems like March 11th was like a year ago. And it was like oh. a month ago. So much has happened. I wanted to bring you back on so we could kind of talk about the state of affairs in the sports world right now. Well, yeah. And, you know, I feel like you know, you and I obviously have conversations every day and hopefully everyone listening has somebody has like their go-to their wingman, so to speak that, you know, they're texting stuff or talking to and like, Oh my God, did you see this? Did you see that? And, you know, kind of batting around ideas on, you know, if and how and when, you know, certain sports are coming back and what the rules are and all that. And, and obviously, you know, we have that. So I feel like our conversation today is really just, maybe a slightly more organized extension of what we've been doing on an almost an hour by hour basis every day. Yeah. And I want to start off by saying none of us have the answers. Nobody has the answers for what lies ahead. I think to speculate is a little bit irresponsible because again, we just don't know what's coming. And as we just mentioned, Keith, so much has happened in the last five weeks since you came on before. I'm sure a lot's going to happen in the next five weeks. So, um, but I think we have more knowledge now than we did on March 11th. And I wanted to talk about kind of the state of affairs and, and where things 
land right now. Let's start with a few major things that, you know, if you listen to someone like Al Guido, the president of the San Francisco 49ers who joined me earlier in the week, and some of the other people, Ian Eyre running Nashville SC, they've given us a little bit of a roadmap as to the scenario planning that they're doing and, and how they're thinking. Safety is number one at the forefront of these leagues and these teams and these events concerned. So, you know, not only safety for the athletes participating, but safety for the fans. Um, the other thing, you know, and you heard Al Guido talk about this in the interview is the sports entities know, Keith, that right now people are losing their jobs. People are trying to figure out, do I pay my mortgage or food or health insurance? The disposable dollar is disappearing. So if you listen to someone like Al Guido, he said, we're going to have to work harder than we've ever worked before to earn that disposable dollar. That's another big part of this. And then, you know, Keith, you're from the sponsorship game. No one has money for sponsorships right now. So, you know, there's no activations going on because there's no games. And then teams that were sponsoring events are saying to... You know, those entities, you know what? We don't have money right now because we're trying to, you know, just keep our company intact and not lay off employees. And, and it's kind of a mess. Yeah. So that's a lot to unpack there. I mean, right. Do we, do we start with safety? Do we start with, start with safety? You know, okay. So I, I, the way we've kind of been tackling this, and I think a lot of scenario planners within the sports industry have been, you know, thinking about this. There's like your short term, you know, uh, strategy and long-term or pre-vaccine and post-vaccine. Right. And so the two scenarios that I think every sport is, is grappling with most is, uh, fans in the stands and fans not in the stands. And so, you know, if it's not in the stands, then clearly you're, you're producing sport for the TV viewer. And in many cases, like you just said, I mean, that's driven by serious dollar um, issues, you know, uh, guarantees. And so, you know, the logistics of, of fans in the stands watching the game are, are massive right now and, and impossible. And the governors and health officials will be the first ones to tell you that. Whereas you have had the highest level of experts, you know, even the Fauci's said this week, um, yes, I would be okay with sports being played with no fans in the stands. So what does that look like? Well, that's a massive logistical undertaking and very different uh, for each league. So in the case of, you know, the NBA or Major League Baseball, you know, one sport might be able to pull it off easier than the other. You know, basketball, there's just simply less people. Uh, there's less games that need to be played because you're in a playoff scenario. They could all go to one location like Vegas and do a tournament style over a few months. Baseball you know, could do something similar in Arizona. We've read about that, but it would be much more people over more venues. And in every scenario, it requires testing. And so I guess on the subject of safety, you just can't really go much further uh, with the conversation than, than talking about testing first. And that's sadly one of the issues this country is struggling with more so than I think other countries have. We just are not testing people enough. So any return to a sport with a non, you know, uh, with a closed stadium, no fans would require an incredible amount of testing and retesting. Well, let me jump in for one second. The other thing I've been saying for the last month and a half, 
people need to understand this. Lawyers drive a lot of these decisions by the leagues and the teams. If they are being told by the medical experts that someone can get infected. I mean, look, Vaughn Miller from the Denver Broncos just announced that he has COVID-19. If players return to the field and COVID-19 spreads amongst the players or spreads with the fans, that is the disaster scenario for the organization that restarted. So, you know, as we're having this conversation, keep that in the back of your mind is the lawyers are saying we cannot take this risk until we have some some certainty here or we can protect against the spread of COVID-19. Well, there was a story earlier this week. Um, I guess one of the cameramen from the um, Oklahoma City, Utah uh, NBA game, the a uh, couple days before Rudy Gobert was, was diagnosed on March 11th, um, he contracted the virus and was in a coma. And, you know, that's that's your TV op. So, you know, let's say one of these leagues went into one of these non-fans, no-fans-in-stand scenarios in a singular location, and you had the bare minimum of game staff and TV staff and team personnel, you know, coaches and players and trainers and all the those types, and they were sequestered and they were – you know, subject to testing and, and all of that. And one person within that whole mix contracted the virus and got really sick really quick. And, you know, you know, the worst situation, you know, happens there where somebody potentially dies. The whole thing blows up. So you're talking about an incredible amount of effort and logistics and time and money going into making this thing happen, you know, which it could, but it's risky. One person dies and then what? Well, and a lot of people are saying, especially on the the college sports scene, that, and I've heard Chip Kelly and other coaches say this, if it's not safe enough for the fans, it's not safe enough for the players. And by the way, the players are in much closer proximity to each other than potentially the fans are. So, you know, college sports where the athletes aren't being paid to compete I think a lot of these universities and athletic directors and coaches are going to have a hard time trotting out student athletes when their peers can't sit in the stands and it's not safe enough for them. So that's another thing to think about here. Again, we're not trying to speculate. We're just telling you kind of what the lay of the land is and what the conversations are so far. Well, college is that you talk about a twisted mess. Uh, college is so much more complicated. Uh, than pro sports. And actually the one, I think, pretty consistent message we've heard across the board at every level is that if you do not have students on campus in a classroom, you do not have student athletes gathered together on a practice field or on the game in the game of play. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. I agree with you. Let's talk because I know you and I have, have had this in our side conversations. There are some sports that we think are, are well positioned or at least better positioned than others to return to the field of play faster than others. You know, if you look at golf, the PGA Tour announced the rest of their 2020 schedule this week. They said the first four tournaments are going to be without fans. I think they're going to see how that goes and then determine do they insert fans back in at that point. But, you know, golf is a great social distancing sport. And if you have no spectators on the course, 
you could space out the players, the groups. You could manage that pretty well, and it's a made-for-TV type of event. You don't have to send out a ton of cameras. I think it's well-positioned and maybe better positioned than any other sport to return uh, sooner than later. I hate having to agree with you all the time. Uh, well, not all the time, but I I couldn't agree with you more. This is this is a perfect sport to to reemerge quickly. Um, yeah, there's going to be the exact same level of safety issues that we just talked about. You know, regarding you know testing for all the the people involved to make it happen. But man, you could actually get really innovative in the way you broadcast. Uh, some of these first events. I mean, I would mic up more people than normal if the players would allow and caddies would allow. I would get some different types of people in the booth to talk about what's going on, including caddies. I've never understood why more caddies aren't included in the broadcast, um, you know, for that, that, that level of perspective. Bones um, is. And well, yeah, I mean, th- I think it's fantastic whenever you have a caddy in there. Yeah, it, I agree. It gives you so much more. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and and then some of the events are very interesting um, as to, uh, you know, which ones would come back online. Like the Masters, for example. I don't know if that's one because it's so driven by by the spectators and, and patrons. Um, yeah, but so if there's a tricky. difference between playing it and not playing it, you play it without the spectators. Yeah, except that the Masters are there. They do their own thing, right? I mean, it's it's the event first. They you know, CBS buys the broadcast essentially from them and the masters dictates how it's, how it's shown. So that, that's a funky one. And then Ryder cup. Could you, do you see people traveling overseas for this? I no. Don't know. And, and British open's already been canceled. So I think you're looking yeah. at us open in September. You're looking at PGA championship and you're looking at masters. And, and to me, if you only get those three tournaments in the rest of the year, that's still a big win for golf. Like I don't really care about the the regular tour events and I know people are craving live sports right now, so maybe they care about it more than they typically would. I care about the majors. So I think if you're golf and you can get 3 of your 4 majors in still this year and you can do it with social distancing measures in place and you do it with no gallery and you just satisfy your sponsors and your broadcast partners, I think that's a big win for them. And, and again, I think golf is better positioned other than esports, you know, than any other sport to return to play sooner than later. What do you think about tennis? Again, Wimbledon's been canceled. U.S. Open has not officially come out and canceled, postponed. You know, they're hanging on to hope. But, uh, what do you think about tennis returning in 2020? I think tennis could work. Um, And again, you know, are we looking at trying as hard as possible to do real competition with real prize money and, and, you know, uh, try to maintain the the normal, you know, operating procedure for a sport? Or are we looking at kind of like exhibition type, you know, Band-Aid, you know, fill up uh, some windows, you know, on a TV schedule type of event? So, like, you see a lot of tennis exhibition where the – you know, you'll have Fed playing Nadal, and the whole crowd is is dark, and the and the and the um and the courts lit up, and you know you can't really even see the crowd. You can sense that they're there and hear it, uh, but it's really all you see is the players uh, on the court. So it'd be interesting to see if they go with with some scenarios like that, or if they actually try to pull off a tournament with no one there. And and again, we're we're talking about athlete safety first. So do the athletes agree to something like that first and foremost? 
The other sport that still continues in, in some places is horse racing. And, you know, the youngsters out there, horse racing used to be a really big deal probably 50 or 60 years ago. And it could come back. There are ways, again, you don't have fans in attendance, but you could do online betting. And there are ways that you could run major horse races and, you know, allow people to gamble on them. And, and again, it's a live sport that you could watch. Um, what, do, what do you think about horse racing? Well, that's, that's an interesting one. And I don't want to make light of, you know, gambling. I mean, look, within, you know, sports in the sports industry, the, the whole uh, real time online gambling was about to become one of the biggest innovations and additions to our, our industry. Uh, but boy, for people that are suffering from, you know, gambling issues, uh, this pandemic has really been, you know, a great thing for them. It's, it's, it's helped them potentially hopefully recover from from maybe gambling too much horse racing that's incredible right i mean there are people that at lunch will just check their phone real quick and watch a live horse race you know that they've got you know skin in the game on and so yeah that's that's one that you could really see even people that have never been you know that have ever been much into to horse racing all of a sudden getting into that we talked about esports obviously that's something that be it can be controlled you you could potentially you know, play games remotely. I think, and, and I know you and I have talked about this. I think minor league baseball, and again, this all depends on what major league baseball does because minor league baseball gets their players from their parent club. But I think minor league baseball, just for the simple fact that if you look at, they play their games regionally. So they're not getting on planes and traveling cross country or traveling three or four hours. They're, they're on a bus and you would have to space people out on a bus, maybe get two buses per team. Um, it's affordable. So it checks that box that we talked about earlier about how do you create the best value for people who don't have a disposable dollar anymore. And I think in these ballparks, the minor league ballparks, they've got the grass berms. They've got areas where you can kind of spread out and social distance from others. And if you have a 5,000 seat ballpark, if you decide, you know what, we're only going to pack it with 2,500 people in order for people to be able to spread out. And maybe you have some checkerboard seating. Uh, people sit in the, in the grass and the berm. I think minor league baseball is something that could, and it's a summer sport, Keith. It's warm. People want to be outside. I think that could work. You've also got a lot of minor league baseball in some of the states that you know, are much more rural, haven't necessarily been impacted like we've seen, you know, on the West Coast and the East Coast. And it's funny, it, it's almost like, isn't baseball in what Major League Baseball and what they're trying to do almost mimics what Minor League Baseball already is? Um, I mean, I think you have to be respectful to, are people going to be anxious or skittish about going back to a sporting event and being with a large crowd. Well, a minor league baseball environment might be kind of that nice transition. I mean, if I had my option of going into a, you know, 70,000 seat NFL stadium right now, or a relaxed, you know, 5,000 seat minor league stadium and sitting amongst 2000 people on a grass berm out in the left, you know, along the left field line and, you know, having a, a couple pops and, and not being really near anybody, but you know, the sun's on me watching some baseball. I, that sounds fantastic. So it's interesting that you bring up the fans and how safe are they going to feel going to games? So Statista 
is a company that did a poll recently in the last week. 72% of respondents wouldn't feel safe attending a game before a vaccine for COVID-19 is developed. That is a big number. That's three out of four people saying, you know what? I'm not going until there's a vaccine. So there's another hurdle for having events with fans versus doing golf, tennis, and events without fans, Keith. Well, and and again, that's where, you know, every single club, team, league has to think really carefully about how to win their fans back. And it's not just the brand. I mean, obviously, you've got passionate fans that have grown up with their teams that even when faced with like a season ticket renewal situation are going to renew or or, you know, take the credit and just have their investment, you know, move to next year just because they don't want to lose their you know, their valuable season ticket location or something like that, unless it's desperate and they absolutely need that money. And, and a lot of people will, but I think so far you probably don't have too many people canceling their, their season tickets, but yeah, I mean um, that you're going to have to assure the fans that the environment they're coming back to has been thoughtfully planned and is, 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 is a safe one. The last sport on our list that could work I mean, we've already seen WrestleMania with no fans. Dana White is cooking up something. I mean, he he tried to get UFC to an island. That got shot down by Disney. Now, supposedly, they've bought like an entire building. They're going to turn it into a remote studio location where they can do UFC events. But that's something where, again, if you do it with no fans and you're just producing the matches themselves in the octagon, we could see UFC back sooner than later. I laughed the first time I heard about the private island, but actually it, it kind of makes, you know, a fair amount of sense. And, you know, the whole notion of doing stuff without fans brings up, again, a whole different type of broadcast. I mean, you've got to think about how do you make that viewing compelling? I mean, I just, I think it's crazy for, for people to think that just because sports is on the air again, that everyone is going to tune in in droves and watch it. I mean, the, the horse competition had, you know, was a novelty. I think people were interested in it when it popped up, you know, and, and, you know, I don't think it was produced that well. Um, and to be honest, Brian, let's say the NBA does come back with a, with a playoff scenario with no fans in the stands. I hope they don't pipe in all the crazy, you know, sound effects and defense, gong, gong, defense, you know, <laughs> because that always kind of gets in the in the way of me enjoying the game. So it would be interesting to see what innovations or what elements are stripped away from a broadcast if we're watching, you know, sports without fans. As a side note, people know that I, I come from the NBA. I talked to two anonymous NBA people this week. And they both said to me that they would love to get back this season, but they don't want to do it at the risk of harming next season and the schedule for next season. So I think that's what we're running into with NHL and NBA is at what point do you say, you know what, we're just going to shut it down for this year and not harm the draft schedule, not harm the off-season schedule, and, and not harm the next season. Because now, if you come back this year and let's say you play late into September, um, Labor Day has been the cutoff that's been mentioned most often with the NBA, kind of the point of when everything has to be over. 
now you're impacting next season too. So you're impacting two seasons instead of one. I think that's a factor that at least the NBA and NHL are looking at. Well, and again, I mean, we're not epidemiologists, but this is where you almost have to go back to the serious, you know, testing and tracing and, and health conversation. Because if you try to come back too quickly, I mean, think it's like any injury that we've had. I mean, I think all of us have had some injury at some point where, where we've tried to come back too early and then re-injured ourselves. And now instead of, you know, being able to come back in a, in a reasonable few months time frame, you know, now you're looking at a year uh, before you're back out on the field. So I, I kind of feel like that's the situation that we're in. And because no one's ever gone through something like this, again, we don't know what we're talking about. You have to trust, you know, the health experts and kind of look into the future in some other countries that are uh, further down the road than we are. And, and we've already seen in other countries one of two scenarios. Either they've come back too soon and the league's already been shut down again, Um in some cases in Asia or in Europe, like in Germany, they've been so effective at managing the, the, the virus and, and, and testing that they're probably going to be able to come back online in a reasonable time frame with a lot of their soccer and other sports um, faster than this country is. Yeah. And I think the other thing, look, <laughs> there are people struggling financially. There are teams, leagues, individuals that are struggling. And I think right now, Keith, there's there's desperation setting in for some of these businesses that are trying to stay afloat and they're weighing every option for how do we save our business? How do we save our livelihood before we go down? You know, we got to exhaust every option. And that's why you're hearing some of these conversations. I understand it. Like at the end of the day, the data and the scientists and the doctors should be driving this. But there's also the economy and there are people that are saying, you know what? I've had my business for years and years and years and I have people that work for me and I, I just, I can't lose all of this. Well, yeah. And God, as just listening to you describe that, the, the sport that comes to mind the most is baseball. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, I, I'm a baseball fan more than anything and a Dodger fan at that. And it's just, it's so crazy. The, the conversations and the articles you read on a daily, you know, basis around baseball. I mean, the one that I saw a few days ago regarding, you know, the, the thought that maybe they'd go play their games in Japan, you know, when the Japanese games aren't being played and just, it's ludicrous to hear the, the different scenarios and then the, you know, the logistics involved in trying to go to Arizona. And, and for a while, it seemed like it was very realistic that it's going to be in Arizona and in, in a few different stadiums and playing on multiple fields. And I don't know. I mean, I, I look, as much as I want to see baseball back, I'm not that, that interested in watching, you know, a game between the Dodgers and the D-backs out on, you know, field 12 at the Peoria sports complex between a bunch of guys wearing 83 and 72 and 61 on their backs that I haven't even heard of. That to me doesn't sound like TV sports viewing that I'm interested in. So we talked about the sports that could potentially return the ones that I think are going to have a tough time. I mean, NFL and college football, NBA, unless you do it in the bubble or major league baseball, unless you do it in the bubble. I just think when you're talking about bringing together really more than 10,000 people, I think you're getting into a dangerous area. I, I just don't know how we go from 
shelter in place in your home with 10 people to all of a sudden it's okay to be in a stadium with a hundred thousand people. I just don't see the scenario where unless there's a vaccine or, you know, there's a drug that's developed that if you get sick, it, it helps you recover quickly. I don't know. And again, it goes back to risk. The ADs, the lawyers, the people are going to go, one player gets sick, one fan gets sick, one worker or photographer or media person gets sick, and the whole thing goes down in flames. Well, and so the people really that you want to talk to are security and operations at these stadiums because, you know, the ones, the meetings that are going to be taking place between governors and health experts, you know, and stadiums and bringing sport back, it's going to be security and operations because there's going to be a whole new world of how people attend a game. You saw the, the, the additional layers of security after, you know, post 9-11 and you're going to get that here. So what is it going to be? You know, are you going to have to deal with a, a temperature, you know, assessment? Are you going to have to produce information that you, you know, you've had the, the virus, you have the antibody, you're not, you know, you, you're immune. Um, you know, it's what else are you going to have to deal with? Are people going to enter the stadium at different times? prior to the game in different locations uh and and how long is that going to go on you know what are the temporary versions of it you know what is it post vaccine and then i mean even when the vaccine hopefully does come in in 18 months or whatever you know do you have to keep updating that vaccine and and improving that whenever you go to a large event i mean it's there's so many unknowns well and are you going to wear masks and gloves are you you know going to have checkerboard seating where your facility is prohibited from selling out to maximizing and you can only go half capacity or three-quarter capacity so people can have social distancing when they're seating checkerboard seating I, i think everything that you just mentioned and that i mentioned they're on the table for the new normal going forward at events. And, you know, again, I just gave you that 72% of respondents to the poll that came out this week said they wouldn't feel comfortable going to a sporting event until there's a vaccine. Now add two more things into the decision about, do I attend a live sports event? A, can I afford it? Because my disposable dollar is, is pretty much gone and then, you know, be just the, the safety part of it. And, um, you know, do I feel comfortable going with these new protocols in, in place? Cause it's going to take me longer to get into the venue. You know, am I better off just staying home and watching it on TV? Yeah. And that's what's driving so many of these leagues to get back on TV quickly. I mean, that's the other thing. Um, you know, we've talked a bunch about how you have to re-win your fan over. I mean, with these schedules, and it, oh, the schedules, right? I mean, with all these different sports being outside of their normal window or TV window, um, where that's, I mean, if you looked at a massive wall of 12 months of sport and where they all fit, I mean, it's like a complicated, you know, jigsaw puzzle of who's on what network at what time, you know, uh, and and who's kind of crossing over each other and what windows generally does the NBA own and the MLB and NFL. And now it's like a race for everybody to get back as quickly as possible and pile on top of each other. I mean, 
I don't know if there's enough hours in the in the day to consume all of the TV sports if they were to all come back in the fall at the same time. Well, and as we know well, scheduling is done with two things in mind. What's the availability of the venue? And then what's the TV deal that I have? Because TV controls when I show this game. And like you said, if there's five things happening simultaneously and the network says we can't air all five things at the same time, you got a problem and you're going to have to figure it out. That's why I think you see people like the PGA Tour coming back this week. And whether they end up playing this schedule or not, they're kind of sticking their flag in the sand saying, this is our schedule. And hey, broadcast partners and hey, anyone else that follows PGA, whether we play this or not, these are the dates we have on the calendar. Plan accordingly. We're, we're first to, you know, announce our schedule again. And I think at the very least, some of these other entities may do the same in order to give their broadcast partners and venues the heads up of when those events would take place. Well, and then think of the the schedulers, you know, the ops folks at venues that are running multiple teams. So like in Staples, I mean, you've got Clippers, you've got Lakers, you've got Kings. They all on a, in a normal season, you know, have to put holds on a postseason window. So, I mean, we rarely talk about concert industry, but think about entertainment then. Entertainment, you know, Live Nation, for example, or, you know, any of the promoters that, that do shows in venues, the same shared venues all over the country, they, they have to book their shows out so far in advance because of those playoff windows in addition, you know, to the regular season. Now, there's there there probably isn't a date available that you could feel good about putting a show in. So, I mean, that makes it even messier for for the concert industry. Here's the other thing that fans need to understand, and and you and I have talked about this at length. The return of sports is not going to be dictated by the president. It's not going to be dictated by the commissioners. It's going to be dictated by the governors of each state. And I'll give you an example. If Governor Newsom in California says we are not having events with more than, you know, a hundred people, a thousand people for the remainder of 2020, it doesn't matter what the Lakers, the Clippers, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Kings, the Niners, the Rams, any of those teams want to do, they're not going to be able to play home games. And the league may come back and unveil a schedule. But if your governor says you can't have gatherings or mass gatherings in your state, you're not playing those games. So the governors are going to be the ones that determine the return of sports in each state because, Keith, there's one death in Wyoming right now from COVID. One. In New York, there's tens of thousands. So, you know, we know this is impacting the country in different ways. It is not one size fits all. So the leagues can't umbrella like say everyone's back no and we've talked about that before it's not a light switch situation not not with a country this big with with different regions you know and the virus you know being at different phases in each of these different regions and then it's not like governor newsom is just going to determine what's going to happen in the state of california now add you know kate brown in oregon and jay Inslee in washington you know they've already announced that that they're in lockstep uh with each other and so there's a massive three state, you know, um, you know, uh, connected group. I mean, I've always imagined it as the country of Pacifica. Um, and we don't want to get political, but 
you know, that's a pretty impressive, mighty combination of states right there as it relates to all kinds of industry, but especially sport. Think of all the, the teams and clubs between those three states. It's not like any any league is going to dictate to those three states and governors what we're going to do. That, that's a That's a huge chunk of the country right there. So you and I have talked about uh, hierarchy. Like, what's the hierarchy in the United States right now? And I would say, you know, what Dr. Fauci and Dr. Brick say holds a lot of weight. I mean, when Dr. Fauci came out this week and said, yeah, there is a scenario if we play games in a bubble, essentially, that we could see a return to sports. That story spread like wildfire, and it was almost like it gave sports fans and these sports entities a little bit of hope because what Dr. Fauci says, it carries a lot of weight. Then you've got the governors who we just discussed. And I would say like commissioners and college presidents are, are probably at the bottom of the list. They're just going to feed off of whatever the governor and whatever the medical experts say in their area. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, if you work within a sports organization or any you know, any company for that matter, everyone's acutely aware of the, of the, the hierarchy, right? Or what do you call it? The, the job flow? I don't know. The, 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 the document that shows who works under who and how it all connects together. Um, that's been just turned up on its head right now. So whereas traditionally the athletic director at a university, you know, dictates a lot of things. Obviously the president and the chancellor of the university, you know, is, is the top dog. In most cases, but yeah, now it's, it's, it's flipped upside down where, uh, the normal leaders in sport have to answer, you know, to a much higher, you know, political level. Well, and you've got this supposed task force, the return to sports task force, and a lot of the commissioners and, you know, leagues and, and things like that are on it. Someone like Mark Cuban's on it. Robert Kraft is on it. Uh, but again, they can make decisions, but they can only make decisions for their area because, again, it's not a light switch or it's not a one-size-fits-all scenario here. So it really is regional, which let's move now, Keith, to what are some of the things that are going to change coming out of this that we can say with some sense of confidence right now? And, and I think one is in the short term, and I, I heard the guys on PTI talking about it this week, Kornheiser and Wilbon, and I think it's a good point. In the next year to two, there is a scenario here, especially for college sports, where you're only going to play games in your city or your state. You are not going to be traveling cross country. You're not getting on a plane for three to four hours. A, because guess what? The NCAA doesn't have funding for those expenses anymore, and these schools don't have it. But B, you're likely to just stay in your region. And and if you're going to get back to playing sports, you're going to play in your area. You're not going to be doing a lot of traveling. That's why we said minor league baseball set up really well because most of those teams are playing teams in their state or, you know, within a, a two-state radius. What do you think about, you know, geographically sticking in your own area and playing? Well, again, yeah, this is a short-term question and a long-term question. And, you know, for a while, we saw uh, a change, a shift in um, conferences. And, and, you know, the Big 12 got blown up, right? A&M left, Missouri left, Nebraska left. You know, that's a whole story in and of itself. But and Colorado left. And, you know, they all joined the SEC, the Big 10, the Pac-12. And 
you know, if you think about not having to get on a plane or a train or just taking a simple, you know, bus trip to, you know, your your opponent's stadium, then that doesn't really work well for, you know, Colorado or Utah within the Pac-12. And does it make more sense for Nebraska and Colorado and, you know, Oklahoma's and the Texas schools all to be back together in the same conference? You know, that's not going to happen overnight, but you wonder if if the the economics of college football change if it makes more sense for these these super you know the power five conferences to go back to being much more regional and then again as far as like even this fall or next spring's college you know sports schedules maybe you can't play those cross-country non-conference games anymore maybe you know you gotta book the eastern washington versus you know washington huskies instead of you know uh, something that requires traveling, you know, a great distance. And, you know, look, that, that actually helps the smaller schools. They need those guarantees. Um, so, or you just won't even have those non-conference and it'll just be purely conference play, which a lot of people have said, you know, they'd rather see the PAC 12, for example, play nothing but conference games against each other so that everybody plays everybody in the same season. Well, and the other thing people need to understand here, and we could do a whole show on this, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but the point I want to make is, I think the model of the NCAA has changed forever coming out of this because they've already lost March Madness, which is their biggest revenue source in their annual budget. There is the potential that they're going to lose college football or at least college football the way that it's been structured where, like you said, you've got those big non-conference games and you're just staying in your own region to play games. If you just do the math – and you see the amount of money they've lost and you see that they can't pay out universities to support the non-basketball, non-football sports, unless government bails them out or unless private industry contributes to college sports, I'm not sure how they catch up with being hundreds of millions of dollars behind on the budget. I just don't see a scenario where they make that up. I think within all the roles you can play in the sports industry, all the jobs that are out there, I probably have more empathy for the athletic director at a, at a university right now, uh, than any other position. I just, I, I can't even imagine the, the scheduling scenarios across all the different sports and the financial issues and the safety issues. You know, it, I well, just, on the student like athlete, I feel bad for the student athlete too. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And also the fact that so many uh, student athletes that don't that aren't football are dependent on that that football revenue. It it, it literally drives the athletic department uh, budget. And then the other the other role in sports that I just think is so difficult right now is is within sponsorships. I mean, that is, you know, that is the uh, the area um, that has probably taken the, the biggest, most immediate hit um and been felt by all. Right. Because everyone's tightened their belt and everyone has said, you know, we're just trying to keep essential staff on board here. We can't have a marketing budget or an advertising budget. And yeah, every, I haven't talked to anyone during the last month that has said, man, we're just killing it with sponsorship revenue right now. I mean, maybe esports, uh, but other than that, I think everyone's really struggling because like we said, most of the companies are, are really shutting things down. So other things that we think will change. So right before, uh, 311, 
we saw that teams were restricting locker room access to essential mm-hmm. personnel. And I think that has forever been changed. I, I think, you know, just like after 9-11, things changed. I think the days of reporters and non-essential people being in a locker room, I think they're done. And I think you can do the media interviews elsewhere in another area or you know, we're doing a lot more Zoom and, and on the phone and we're finding ways to talk to athletes and executives and coaches during this time when we can't be together with them in person. I think that's changed, Keith, and, and that's going to change some things at, at sporting events and protocols. Well, and we're going to get a, a, you know, a, a good look at some of that um, in the next, like, well, today and over the next few weeks with these drafts. So like the WNBA draft, right? That's going to actually be interesting viewing for some people and and how they handle that and then of course the nfl draft and el El guido you know mentioned this on the pod earlier this week you know they're going to do a mock draft before they do the real draft right and it's going to incorporate all of the the interviewing people from home and the zoom and and all the different you know hardwired you know technology into coaches houses and all that so that's going to be a you know upfront look at you know, the future potentially of, of how we consume inner information from, from our sports people. Well, and I think you're going to see a lot more work from home after this. People are going to say, you know what, this has worked and, you know, maybe not sports teams, but I think non sports teams and just general corporations are really going to look at, do I need to pay $10 million a year for rent for my building and parking and, you know, all the other things that go with, uh, having an office space and I think there's going to be a lot more virtual. I think, you know, this is a, a topic for another day, but I think online learning with universities. I mean, look, I have a daughter that is going to be going to college in a few years. Your son is in college and these colleges that are charging enormous amounts of money. Again, the disposable dollar coming out of this People are just trying to pay their mortgage. They're trying to pay for food, for health insurance. They're not going to be able to pay 80 grand a year to send their kid to college. So is online learning, is work from home going to be more prevalent coming out of this? I think it will. Yeah, again, short term, long term. I mean, you could argue maybe if you're a high school senior, you know, maybe this is the best year ever to take a gap year. And if college isn't going to be in normal operating mode, I mean, heck, maybe you could spend this whole summer working on a on an important, you know, campaign, um, you know, with this being a big elect election year. Um, and then, you know, down the road, you know, maybe it makes more sense to do online learning for a couple of years, figure out what you want to do and then, you know, go to a, a, a an actual college campus for two years instead of four and and save some money in that regard. But yeah, I mean, it's just everything, everything's going to be very different in the short term. And then there's going to be a new normal in the long term. I think part of the new normal too is going to be limiting the number of touch points. So I saw Delta airlines this week. If you're still flying, they're essentially handing you a bag when you get on the flight and in the bag is finally some Purell and wipes. So you can wipe down your, your seat um, it's got your bottled water and it's got a little cookie in there. I think the days at sporting events and 
really everywhere we go. I mean, I'm hoping at Whole Foods and everywhere else, the mass buffet that people can just walk up to. We've all seen the video of the guy who walked up to the soup bar at Whole Foods and tasted the soup right out of the ladle and then put it back in. Like I just don't see buffets <laughs> being a big part of the future going forward where someone can walk up and taint food that others are going to eat. So I think the way that we serve things at sporting events is also going to be reexamined. Obviously, you know, in between events, the facility crew is going to have to scrub down the seats and really disinfect the stadium and the arena. And, you know, I know that has happened to some degree uh, up until now, but I think it's going to go next level after this. Yeah, the yeah the the um, penalty for double dipping uh, oh, is going to get pretty man. pretty severe. But hopefully they one, remove that from even being an option in the future. Like I would <laughs> after this. I mean, we talked about seventy two percent of fans would be afraid to go to a game. One hundred percent of me would never go to a public buffet again after yeah. this. Well, what's funny is this is going to impact you know highbrow. Uh, sports fan, you know, regular fan is fine. You know, if you're out in the, in the right field pavilion, which is an all you can eat, you know, thing in, in Dodger stadium, you know, you're still lining up to get your, your already prepackaged, you know, Dodger dog and you can eat as many of them as you want for that. I think it's like a $50 ticket, something like that. Um, you know, that's going to probably become an interesting model moving forward. Um, but boy, if you're in the suites and you've got this beautiful buffet that's been put out in your suite, you know, I'm not so uh, interested in that option anymore. Yeah, no, I'm not at all. Or even, you know, the people who go to the, uh, the bar and they've got like the bar nuts on the, on the bar, <laughs> like forget it. I was already OCD before this. That's why Larry David's my guy coming out yeah. of this. There's not a chance I'm sharing you know, public food, popcorn, candy, nuts with anyone. Sorry. Well, and the behind the dugout clubs, think about this. I mean, it's already it's already like checkerboard seating. Anytime you turn on a Yankee game, those seats are so expensive behind home plate. You don't see anybody back there anyway. So that's probably the safest place to sit in our new world. Um, but if you uh, go back behind home plate into the uh, – the dining area, the, you know, the dugout lounge or whatever, that is the most unbelievable spread you've ever seen that who knows what's going to happen to that, you know, whole production uh, moving forward. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap, but I think what we've learned from this conversation is all the executives and the smart people that we're talking to in sports are doing a lot of scenario planning right now. And, you know, there's two basic scenarios. There is the scenario with a vaccine and there's a scenario without a vaccine. And we've also learned that the governors of each state are going to really dictate the return of sports in their area. This is not, as you said, a light switch situation. This is not a one size fits all where, you know, the NFL or the NBA or major league baseball says we're back and it's back to, you know, playing in your home ballpark. Everything's back to the way it was. I think we're going to see, a trickle effect with how sports resumes and then we're going to go from there. But, you know, here we are, what, five weeks after we had our 311-20 conversation and there's still a lot of unknowns. We don't have the answers. Most of the people we talk to don't have the answers. We just have to kind of wait and see how this all unfolds and scenario plan. That's what's incredible. I mean, it's we are only five weeks realistically along yeah it seems this. like a year 
it does. And I mean, a week goes by and the whole conversation changes. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go back and maybe listen to this a month from now and just laugh at where we were in, you know, and where things are now. Well, uh, and to, to prove that point, when we recorded on 311, I mean, Keith, there were leagues shutting down and they were like, we'll be back in three or four weeks. We'll, we'll see right. in three or four weeks. Now you look back on that and you just laugh and you're like three or four weeks. It, it may be three or four months. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing that that will happen over the next few months um, is you're going to have, you know, the smart people, the smart clubs will figure things out. The the smart sponsors will get innovative. You know, if there's a really good partnership in place between a club, a community, a sponsor, their league, their fans, whatever, there will be some interesting new innovations that come about here you know real quickly i know you want to shut this down but like you know healthcare plus sports i think now finds a whole oh, yeah. new you know canvas or, or opportunity to work together and there's so many healthcare partnerships aligned with sports leagues and teams that to me is fertile ground for some really innovative uh partnership ideas that basically produce things that fans need to feel better about going to sport to give them some of the the items that they need to feel safer that's that to me is is the future some really good opportunities for for these traditional partners to work better together well and i'll end with this you know we uh at sports pr summit we do a uh, webinar every so often and we had some really good people on our recent webinar uh bert lawton from the steelers josh rawich from the diamondbacks and mary scott from ueg and I thought Mary had the soundbite of the hour, and it was solve, don't sell. And I will tell our audience that's listening, whether you've lost your job or you know, you're just looking for solutions at your organization, if you solve a problem or you have answers, you're going to be real important and your organization is going to thrive or you're going to thrive individually. So now is the time to solve problems. It's the time to collaborate. I get sick and tired of seeing these sports organizations that operate in silos or I can't tell you how many leagues, brands, teams that I've talked to where they've essentially told their executives, their coaches, and their athletes to just shut up during all this. They don't want to say the wrong thing, so they're not going to say anything. And they're not going to collaborate with anyone. They're just going to crawl into the cave. That is not the way to handle this. We all are in the same boat. Globally, we're all in the same boat. This first time in our lifetime this has ever happened. We need to collaborate. We need to get together. We need to solve problems. We don't need to be in silos, Keith. And Brian, this is what I preach every time I talk to a class uh, in sports business or whatever about this type of thing. This is the difference between sponsorship and partnership. Sponsorship is slapping a logo on a backlit sign in the concourse of a stadium, throwing some tickets, you know, at something that that's sponsorship. Partnership is where, you know, the healthcare, the hospital system in Ohio, you know, sits down with the Cavs and the Indians and comes up with a really um, compelling plan that's going to help, you know, uh, the community um, in a way that everybody wins. Um, that, that, that's where we're at now. I agree. All right. This was a good talk. Hopefully we've, uh, been able to shine a little bit of, uh, wisdom and some thoughts 
for our audience, Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio. You know, Keith, we do this basically every day, so now we're just doing this for our podcast audience. It's it's good. <laughs> Keith and I solve the world's problems every day. All right. Yeah. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also makes super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMain.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Open Doors helps athletes share content on social. Founded in 2012 by two former Nebraska football players, Open Doors has become the world's leading athlete marketing platform. More than 6,000 athletes around the world use Open Doors to receive content from partners and publish to their personal social channels like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all with one click. Open Doors makes it easier than ever before for brands, including sponsors and licensees and properties, to push approved content through the player's social channels. Leading sports organizations like the PGA Tour, NFL Players Association, Major League Baseball Players Association, the LPGA, and dozens of professional and collegiate sports teams use the platform to send video highlights, photos, GIFs, and more to athletes. The publishing process is very easy and convenient. Once registered, athletes receive a text message when their team, league, or brand partner has content for them to share on social media. The athlete simply reviews the content and hits approve. Open Doors does the rest. If you're an athlete, start using Open Doors as a tool today to build your personal brand and maximize your value on social media. If you're a brand trying to connect with athletes who you thought you'd never be able to gain access to on your own, Open Doors is your solution. Open Doors makes athletes more accessible to the people who support them. Visit opendoors.com or follow them on social media at Open Doors.